847 is 366 and 7. Hello and welcome to A Score to Settle, a podcast about movie and TV music. I'm your host, Brian McVicker. Each episode, I focus on music composed for film and television, whether through analyzing a specific score, taking a deep dive into a particular composer's career, or by way of interviews with guests, both those in the industry and also fellow fans. I haven't yet warmly welcomed everyone to the new year, and with luck, 2024 is already emerging as a banner year for anyone out there who is listening. To launch into the new year in this episode, I am accompanied once again by perennially popular soundtrack album producer and editor Neil S. Bolt to continue our conversation in recapping his standout projects from the prior year, in this instance 2023. His work can be heard on album releases from labels such as La La Land, Entrada, and Verez Saraband Records. As always, I appreciate when Neil can spend time to share the details and experiences on these albums. Welcome back to the show, Neil. It's always a pleasure. Yes. Well, I appreciate you making time for it. So oftentimes I feel like when we do these conversations, I often seem to sort of work forward Uh through the year. And I'm like, I kind of am inclined to work just a little bit backwards and start with the most recent albums um, that uh, were were up for release, which would that kind of caused a stir among segments of the fan community. Uh, because of its, their connection to James Bond. Oh, but why, why talk about that first? I don't know, because it was seen to be top of mind. We can yeah, but, but it should be the end. Like, make everybody listen to all the, you know, all the other stuff. Be like, oh, oh, okay. All right. You know what? Go, oh, oh, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> No, no, you're probably right. Maybe. No, 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 we no, should... they go, oh, well, he's done talking about that. So. <laughs> I guess I, I don't was... care about Zorro. <laughs> I was going to give the people what they want if they wanted to hear about Bond. Um, but James Horner is also an equally popular uh, topic of discussion. What a, what a composer. What a composer. But yeah, and regarding James Horner, I believe he worked on four different album releases of his scores for this year. I believe it was Dad, Sneakers, Gorky Park, and Mask of Zorro. That's that's correct. That is that is four. That you know brings uh you've, you're really amassing quite the uh you know quite the album credits for expansions of of his work. So um how did you feel you know as far as all of them were there particular highlights from these four um, how did they, I guess, were they all worked on in calendar year of 2023 or was this sort of over the period of two to three years? I think they all were 2023, though Gorky Park certainly started in 2022. There was a lot of work involved on it and, and various tapes to pull. Um, you know, that, that one had been done numerous times. Uh, it had an original album on Verez, then Kritzer Land, Bruce Kimmel's label reissued it, 
and on that case, and both times it was the album program, but Bruce, since the album is, you know, so short and it can be fit on the CD twice, Bruce resequenced the album into a sort of film order, and we can talk about that um, more in a little bit, I guess. And then, mm-hmm. and then Entrada put it out, and they, they put out all sorts of extra stuff in a different mix. Uh, the mix, I guess, is, 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 a, is a point of consternation with some people for the album mix for Gorky Park. Uh, and for me as well, I was like, oh boy. Uh, and then we did it and, uh, you know, I did sort of, the the analysis that I tend to do, which is, this is what's on the film. This is what's on the album. We have, you know, are these takes different or, you know, what's different. And you just sort of go through and figure out and lo and behold, I was like, well, this, this could still be, this could be a two this set because the album is so different. From, from the film in terms of mix mm-hmm. um, uh, and in terms of take selection and, and cues there are three alternates on the original soundtrack album and with and with my with, with my playlist of disc one there was a room for them and I'm like well they have to be included and the album gives you a very uh very nice way elegant way of including them. it's like well they're they're not some separate bonus thing they are james warner's produced soundtrack album and then uh you know, Critterland, as I mentioned, presented the, the album twice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, why don't we present the album twice? We'll do the original mix followed by our new mix. So you can get these three alternates in the same quality as the rest of the score. It's a whole thing. I was, like, I was really happy with how that one turned out. Um, it, it's it's uh, It was fun to, you know, sort of make uh, a new sequence for mm-hmm. it. Uh, I don't know how familiar you, you were um it. i had the verez and i think i had the Critzerland. i feel like um i did have another one of those previous expansions mm-hmm. um so this was one of those where i know when it came along there was you know some um you know questions from the community as terms of like okay is this worth you know double dipping if someone had already owned it i mean obviously and anyone who doesn't own Gorky Park should own it. As right. a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was sort of a question of, okay, I didn't realize the mixes would be that different. Yeah, um, and, and, and then try to talk about it, you know, Doug and, you know, and Roger, you know, they talked about it when their their album came out. Um, so Gorky Park is a monophonic film, which is kind of strange in 1983. Hmm. Uh, not entirely unheard of, but kind of strange. Um, you know, Horner had previously done, you know, Star Trek II and 48 Hours, and those were, you know, stereo films. And, uh, Crawl was, of course, a stereo film. And, you know, for whatever reason, they said, no, we're going to make Gorky Park a monophonic film. And so... While they recorded it to multi-track tape, I think it was 24-track, and then they also did their three-track tape. But the three-track, they were like, well, we don't... They, I guess they, the thinking was, this is going to be a monophonic film. We don't necessarily have to be strict stereo on the three-track tapes. Like, Star Trek Two on the three-track, it was stereo. You know, right. Stereo perspective on Gorky Park, it was a little bit more like, well... Not necessarily. Plus, Gorky Park is not a traditional orchestral score. Yeah, right, right. So again, the bounces were a little funky. 
And I think, you know, when they did the album, they sort of, you know, in 1983, when they did that album, it was sort of like, well, we have this sort of mix. And it was weird. It, the, the album was not monophonic, but the album was also not, you know, a stereo perspective. It was very peculiar. And there were elements on there. You're like, that is absolutely mono. It was hmm. just, it's a very peculiar mix, but that's, that's what they went with. And then what Entrada did and what I did as well. And it's funny um, when I called in the tapes and I went to inspect them, they still had the Entrada FedEx labels on them. <laughs> <laughs> so they, so they, they were the same tapes. Um, and so they were, they were three track, but not traditional left center, right. It was sort of, and Chris Malone did our mix for this release. I think he mastered it as well. He did. Um, and so we sort of figured things, you know, perspectives and, 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 you know, how to try to get the best out of this three track mix without, you know, going back and having to entirely reinvent the wheel, mm -hmm. you know, from the 24 track. And uh, I think it turned out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it definitely with those mixes, it it envelops you in a different way. I think yeah. it 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 can definitely be a different listening experience. Um, and as far as far as the alternates, I didn't realize that Horner had included alternates on. You said it was on the original album that he had alternates. Yeah, I think it was. You know, you're asking me to remember something I did. You know. Oh no, sorry. Year. But no, I, I think it was <laughs> Irena's theme, Arcady and Irena. And airport farewell on the original album those are alternates and what's funny is airport farewell is not for the scene at the end of the movie it's not an alternate for the scene at the end of the movie mm. it's an alternate of Irena's theme <laughs> if you look oh. at the slates they're both 9a i was like oh so so again it's like oh so what he called airport farewell in the album was not the airport farewell Gorky Park is such a fun score. It's it's so interesting as far as that was what eighty five? Oh right. no, eighty three. Yeah. Okay, because it it's so interesting for it to come along at a time where Warner was you know sort of really developing you know that complex orchestral style of his, but still having the the, the then the modern trends if, as far as like the drum kit, you know, and even like the blaster beam or any sort of like pop elements. Mm -hmm. included in it it was it's such a very short time frame of his career you know in terms of what he was doing uh musically you know it's funny that the topic of film mix versus album mix i wanted to circle back to on a different title you worked on so okay. i have it written down uh, okay. so i don't forget <laughs> um 
But well, you know, if, I, if, we, I think if, we moving... put, if we put out the film mix of Gorky Park, it would have been a mono album. So, <laughs> <laughs> which you know, I don't mind. I don't mind the mono recordings. I guess they. No, no. Look, if that's how it's recorded, then absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know. It still has a lot of punch. Jeff Bond apparently encountered somebody at a Star Trek convention who was very angry that our box set of Star Trek original series was mono. <laughs> <laughs> did did Jeff humor him and be like, it's I, what? I don't know if there was much humor involved. <laughs> oh my gosh. It would be funny if Jeff was like, we never even noticed. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> That was that was what that switch was. Stereo, oh, mono. Got to do the fifteen CDs all over again. <laughs> Continuing along the the track of of horner scores you worked on yeah um dad was one um i think i'm gonna I'm, if i go chronologically in his career i think if gorky park was 83 i think dad was 1990 89 89 yeah. yeah so i'm just gonna like proceed that way so that sure. would be the next thing yeah um thoughts on that score because i feel like um i didn't i wasn't as familiar with that score so okay. i didn't really know whether or not it was something that there was a lot left off the album or not a decent amount it, it, it was fun it was you know i'm gonna say it's a lot because it's true but it, it was fun to work on and figure things out because uh mike Mattesino had started on this and sort of i sort of got passed on to me to sort of figure things out and we needed to find more material from what he had that's why he was struggling with it, it was like oh we don't we don't have everything um so uh, ultimately, we did find it all, and it was again. It was one of those cases where uh, you do the breakdown of the film, you do the breakdown of the album, you go, "Oh, geez, there's stuff on the album that's not in the film, and there are differences, and there are things that, like you could again. It's you should present if you want to have like one package that has everything. It's like that's how you do it, I think. Um, and it was fun because there's a, there's quite a bit of music that's not used in the movie. Hmm. And when I was working on this, I didn't have the entire film mix of the movie in my computer. I had just a music stat. So it would just be silent, 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 silence, music, silence, silence, or music and effects. That's what I had, music and effects. So it'd be like, you know, like keys jingling and doors opening and footsteps and then music, but no dialogue. <laughs> So it's it's a very eerie way to listen to, to to this thing. It helps identify takes and 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 what the music is. But if there's something unused, you're like, well, where does that go? So I watched the movie with my with my notes in front of me. I was like, oh, that's that. Oh, I know what go. Oh, I know what this is. This you know. So that was fun to figure out. And then and you could obviously you know figure out titles for these things. Um, and that uh, that that was very satisfying on that. And the same thing actually happened on uh, on Glory. There's mm. a ton of music not used in Glory, you know, the, and and it's like, where does it go? I don't know. And then you watch the movie, you go, oh, well, that has to go here. Oh, that goes here. Oh, of course. So, it's you know, sometimes you should watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's some insight to be gained from it. Yeah. If you're working on movie music, watching the movie helps. Yeah, well, 
Yeah, some someone in the fan community don't understand that. Hey, even I am guilty of like thinking, I don't need to watch the movie. I have the music. Um, well, in, it's interesting. Dad is one of those movies where I don't I don't think I ever saw it. I was curious, how did it even come up as a title for you to release? Because it's not even well remembered or known at all. Yeah, but it's James Horner. Even Horner fans might struggle to remember he composed that. Well, we've been doing work with Universal. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's a Universal film. Probably came up that way. I wasn't I wasn't privy to those conversations. Okay. But, uh, you know, ha- happy to happy to be a part of it and uh, and present it and, and, and uh, get it out there. I, th- I think it sounds terrific. You know, it's what, you know, Sean Murphy in that era, mm-hmm. you know, it's terrific. And, and uh, the performances are wonderful. That was recorded here, right? It was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's one of those where I think he's one of those composers where his work, what regardless of genre, uh, mm-hmm. seems to still, you know, maintain a lot of interest. Uh, I think there are some composers where if they're doing something action or sci-fi, that's where the interest is. But if they do a drama or comedy, right. it kind of falls off. But I feel like with Horner, it's like I feel like interest in his work spans all the genres that he worked well, in. That's because... Horner, at least to me, has such an identifiable and unique voice that you just, you know, and and and, and he was terrific. He was, mm-hmm. no one, you know, you don't need me to tell you that. He's a wonderful composer. I like working on his stuff because, you know, as as uh, as you work on it more and more, or listen to it even more and more, you just gosh, you, you just go, what what a what a talent, and we. We all recognized it. I mean, I grew up with, you know, his Star Trek scores and, you know, and, and aliens. And it's so it's just like, yeah, he's he just comes through. I, I enjoy listening to his music because he's such, you know, such a unique, you know, voice. Yeah. And it's it's not just his style, but also the structure. I think that his scores have a musical structure to them. I think that helps them sort of survive outside. Well, his instincts. Yeah, you know his dramatic instincts are. Uh, I don't know yeah. how, how else to say it. You he know, you're, had, you're... He, he had it. He had it. He had it. He knew how to do it, and so immediately. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like there are definitely those handful of composers that seem to immediately have a sound. It's yeah. like they they didn't have years where it was like, well, they didn't sound like anyone else, or they sounded like others, and then they found a sound. Mm-hmm. It's still crazy to me that, you know, Battle Beyond the Stars, you could still connect it to. Right. Mask of Zorro. I mean, you sure. can still kind of you can hear traces, not at all specific or anything. It could just be how he harmonizes strings. Right. But you're like, oh, that's still a Horner score. That that is his. Yeah, that's you know his voice is you know his way. You know, I I just watched uh I watch it all the time. Uh, John and Al Kaplan's uh, review of Die Hard <laughs> on on YouTube, which is hysterical because it's done. You know, it's Hans Gruber. Right. And he says in it, he says, you know, Cayman was so unique that sometimes you could tell it was him by one chord. <laughs> and they play, a, and it's just like, yep, that is that. 
that is Cayman. And the same thing with Horner. You could hear, you know, same by Horner. You could just hear, you know, one one bit, and you're just like, yep, that's that's James Horner. And moving forward, I guess from from Dad, I guess moving along chronologically, Sneakers yes. uh, came out in 1993. Um, yeah. Two or and, three, somewhere in there. Oh shoot, you're probably right. Two. I yeah, because we missed the anniversary. Damn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, that was another one that now that was a score I feel like that was on most people's top ten lists for Horner. I felt like the album was representative music in the movie, but again, we're talking, you know, a ton of variations that are in the film, cues that are edited down mm -hmm. um, and alternates. So was that again where you get a mess of material that you have to make sense of, or was it pretty logically, you know, easy to sequence? So Sneakers is is a, is a score I edited twice. Oh. And I'll tell you why. This is an exclusive. Awesome. Hasn't gone anywhere else. But it also speaks about the fragile state of the medium. Because Sneakers is not an old film. Sneakers is from 1992. To me, that's... It's not an old film, you know? Right. It's, it's color. <laughs> it's got sound. <laughs> you know, it's a talkie. You know? Yep. And our first set of tapes were deteriorating. And I didn't know what else there was. So I went through... And I cut it all, but it was like, yeah, this is this this is a problematic element. Hmm. What else can we do? Fortunately, we were able to find another source, and then I went back and just redid it all. You know, I, I it wasn't like I had to reinvent the wheel at this point. It was like, oh, I, I took my notes and I knew what I needed. It was this, 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 this. But it just again, it's like one of those things. Like, oh my gosh, sneakers needed another route to go to to get it finished. I don't know necessarily if there were a ton of alternates on the album, but the album is so well loved and mm -hmm. produced that you know you you wanted I wanted to include it. Um, I guess it did some you know combined the Playtronics break-in, which yeah. we separated. Um, uh, well, first of all, it, there was a little bit of music missing from Playtronics break. -in. I think the start of Playtronics break-in two is cut off on the album. So we have it in full on ours. Um, and then there were, you know, some things that need to get expanded and stuff. So again, it's like, well, what do you do? You know, the album runs 73 minutes and it's like, but I have all these extra things that were on the old album. And if we don't put it on there, people go, oh, you got to hold on to the old album to get this. And you're like, I don't want to read that. I want people to have one package that has it all. Yep. So uh, I had, I wound up with a bunch of tapes on sneakers. Um, 
uh, I had it was no, it was on Dad where I had a ton of album masters for whatever reason. It was same album master just on multiple tapes, <laughs> and huh. I had to figure out which one was precisely the actual CD, and I, I did that. So on sneakers, I had a bunch of dads, recording sessions, mixes, album master. You know, it's, it's a philosophy that, you know, Mike Mattesino and I have discussed, you know, try to include everything that's been out there. Uh, in some, so if you look at some albums I've done, it's like, why is this alternate? I guess, I guess the ultimate expression of it is really disc three of uh, La La Land's Star Trek motion picture that mm, produced mm-hmm. with, with Bruce Botnick. Mm-hmm which has a ton of alternate takes, all of which were previously on the, the Sony 20th anniversary album. It's like, that was an expanded album where I don't think any of the takes, maybe one, were actually the film takes. So it's like, you know, people will say, where is this? So he included them and it's, it's just a thing. Sneakers, again, is one of those now considered classic Warner scores. So it's nice just to, I think it may not have always been available, so it's great that you now have right. a complete package for that score to be enjoyed and, by any new Horner fans. And I, and I think it was one that people, I think that I think there was demand for it. I, I you know, I because I, yeah. I know the album was beloved. Yeah. Um, but I, I always it, wanted a Sonic upgrade. For did me, you really? Yeah, I don't know why. I always felt it was sort of a soft uh, master, or maybe just sub- seemed subdued, and I wanted a little bit more. Punch, but it? then again, that's a recording engineer's choice. Um, Does this album satisfy? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Yeah. This this was definitely the the reissue that I would have wanted. Okay. Good. Because uh, you know it's again you know I, I I it's Sean Murphy and and you know in his element you know in that great era and he's still great he's doing you know mm-hmm. recordings for Deutsche Grammophon now and the Boston Symphony I mean he's. Doing great stuff. Yeah. Now, uh, was he involved in the fourth title, Mask of Zora? Was that a Sean no. Murphy recording? No. This was okay. This was uh Warner's first score with Simon Rhodes. Just after Titanic. Okay. Which was Murphy. This was Simon Rhodes. Now that was another one where the album, you know, again, I felt like told the story of the movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, is it's absolutely, a, it, you know, shouldn't be, you know, seen as like deficient. It's still a great no. album, but you had the chance to revisit this. Um, and was this score on your radar? Were you very familiar no. with this Warner score? No. I Interesting. Kind of, I was kind of terrified of it. Really? Yeah. Sneakers, despite the storyline, was still kind of in the analog era where they would you know, edit on tape or, or film and weren't quite as adventurous in terms of uh, intercutting. They wouldn't cut in a one second and 15 frame insert in the mag analog era. <laughs> and Zorro is six years later, and at that point we're starting to get into that era of detail of, mm-hmm. you know, we can record, you know, one bar and slug it in. And, and I was like, oh gosh, and it's an action film. 
with mm-hmm. scoring, you know, I didn't know if it had scoring issues or not because I knew it was London and LA. The old album said so. It's like, what ha- what happened here? But it, the job came along and La La Land said, we're doing this. And I went, okay. They actually said, we're doing this. We're doing Mask of Zorro and we're doing this other thing. Um, unfortunately, the other thing couldn't be found until last month. <laughs> so the other thing we'll talk about next year. <laughs> Mask of Zorro we can talk about now. Look at this. I'm, I'm setting up all these teasers for next year. <laughs> I started on Zorro. Uh, we had stereo dats, which were just London sessions. And my thought was, oh no, uh, because I guess they did London first and then Los Angeles afterwards. And I'm like, oh no, do I have like an alternate score? Hmm. Did they did they score stuff in London and say, no, we want to redo it? So. I started on Zorro, I got the material, it sounded terrific. And I was like, well, okay, let me start, let me start putting it together. And, and as it went more and more along, it was like, Oh, I, I have. There's nothing changed. What's going on here? Like this all matches, hmm. and, and I was just like, I, I, I guess they, you know, ran out of time, or, or it wasn't. Scenes weren't finished. I really don't know the, the full, and I still don't know the full details of why it wasn't all done in London. Why some things were done in LA. Certainly, there were album tracks done. You know, some tracks specifically. It seems like they were specifically done for the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the ending was was, was changed. They did a new ending, uh, and that was done. The, the scoring was done here. That we have all that on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was uh, it, it was intimidating. It became less intimidating as it went on. As I as I, as I worked on it further, I started to get into the mindset. And though they may have recorded a ton of takes for some things, the actual intercutting for the film mm-hmm. was minimal. So a case in point was Plaza of Execution. So when I was first putting this together, there, like I said, I, I didn't have everything. I had most, most of it. I had, you know, London sessions for sure, but I didn't have the main title. So my initial master, my initial thought, my initial master was I'll open the album the same way with the, main title going into Plaza of Execution, but like, that's not really, and then I, and then I was just going to present 
you know, the, the full plaza execution without the main title is a bonus because it has 30 seconds at the top. That's okay. not, on, not on the original soundtrack album. Because I didn't have the main title and there was no way to to, to cut it off and, and do it. Like, and, and so, but ultimately I did get, I did get the main title. And so what I initially had done for Plaza of Execution, because part of me was intimidated by, you know, an eight, was it an eight minute cue or whatever? Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, I'll take action cue. And, and they, they, they printed two takes and multiple pickups of it. I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to be going back and forth. So initially what I had done was I had just taken the opening 30 seconds and cut them onto the album. And I was like, done. I can, I can, I can walk away from that one. I was like, I'll call it Plaza Execution Film Version. And it was on the first master that way. I had the main title, Plaza Execution Film Version. And I went, you know, Neil, you never did really put that up against the film. You just <laughs> took the first 30 seconds, matched the take, and put that on and said, you're done. What if the whole eight-minute thing isn't the film version? I went, oh, shut up, brain. <laughs> you know not that i'm trying to take the easy way out but i was like oh am i gonna have to like figure out all these edits yeah yeah you're calling it film version you have to figure out all these edits huh? okay okay brain challenge accepted Interesting thing about Zorro, um, it was an SDDS-8 film that was Sony's uh, digital sound format for movie theaters. Hmm. When you say SDDS-8, that means it was eight channels and not 5.1. It was 7.1. Five hmm. across the front, stereo surrounds, and low-frequency effects. But in the case of Zorro's music, it was a 5.1 recording. Uh, the, the left center and right center channels were blank. Um, so there okay. you go. If anybody was interested... Um, so, so I, I was like, okay, I got the full music stem and I've got these takes. I'm going to have to re-edit this cue. And, uh, ultimately it was like, it was take three with like four seconds from another take in the middle. And that was pretty much it. Like, oh, oh my gosh, really? <laughs> I was like double checking, double checking. I was like, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the, I was really terrified of this cue and it was like, Super easy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thanks for sharing, you know, about the the Mask of Zorro and the and Gorky Park and Sneakers and Dad. It sounds like, you know, you enjoy working on the Horner scores. You know, hopefully you've got some maybe, you know, in the future um, coming up. But obviously you cannot say, you know, one way or the other. Yeah, but, I, I, yeah, I, I, but I love I love uh, getting to work on because I get to listen to all those great music and, and figure yeah. out what I hope is, you know, a, a, you know, an alternate, a, a different way of listening to them, you know, apart from his his album presentations, and you know, all the albums give you some way of listening to the album, you know, the original album, where you know, on you know, sneakers or Gorky or Dad, is just pop a disc in, play Zorro. It's a little bit more, you know, make a playlist, a little more twenty first century, yeah, you know, thing. But you can do it. The, the album was designed so that you could. You could uh, sequence the original soundtrack album because they were all very proud of it. You know, it was, it was his first one with Simon Rhodes, yeah, who you know they worked with to uh, to Horner's passing. Yeah, and that's a lengthy album too. So it's like they, you know, yeah, they, they definitely did a good job with putting with assembling that together. And and sort of odd for Horner, who didn't usually combine things and go out of sequence. He didn't, you know, it's like a John Williams mm-hmm. thing. But uh, Zorro did it, you know, combining the main title with Blazet Execution, which is, you know, and then also the, the was it the, uh, get the is title it right. the fencing, fencing lesson? The fencing lesson is two completely disparate cues yeah. together. And again, um, I didn't remember, but it was great reading the notes and, and seeing the, the details on it and mm-hmm. learning that. I'm like, oh, yeah, but it makes sense in his mind. He probably, again, sure. connecting those scenes those sequences and it, it works it's you know it's, it's an exciting cue but it, it, it but having worked on so many horners it was just like oh that that's that's not usual before we get to bond yes what am i forgetting this out i forgot something no, I will. I, I, it, we were talking about album versions, and I wanted to mention something um, that may not be that well known. I, uh, in 2022, I worked with Bruce Botnick on uh, some albums for Disney. Oh, the Dolby Atmos. And, and, yeah, the, the Dolby Atmos releases. And, yes. And uh, also with Greg Penny, who worked with Elton John, we did Lion King. But one of the albums that Bruce and I worked on i don't know if anybody knows this so it's hey exclusive yeah 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 was the dolby atmos version of mulan the jerry goldsmith score and this had something unique which i would have never known which was that album that soundtrack album must have been planned but they must have known what was going to be included because it, it did something that I'd never encountered before. And I've done a lot of soundtrack album rebuilds, you know. They would specifically record a bridge to combine two disparate cues. Hmm. So let's say they had 4M1 go into 2M2. These are real in part numbers. Mm-hmm. They, you know, instead of, you know, putting them together in Pro Tools, they actually recorded a bridge that would say 4M1 bridge. And that was put in between four and one and two. I'm, just, I'm making I'm making up the slate numbers. I don't yeah. know if that's an if that's an exact 
I did this, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever. <laughs> but but it was it was cool. I was like, because it happened a few times. Like, oh, th this bridge was recorded specifically for the album. Wow. That doesn't happen that often. No, and to know that far in advance before you hit the recording stage that this this sequence, this cue, and this one are going to be bridged. Yeah. That's a lot of foresight. Yeah, but that's what was done on the lives. I was, you know, I haven't seen it before or since. <laughs> That is definitely a score I know that people will, they do want to see an expanded edition, you know, score album at some point, you know, sure, they, they do want to see that. And hopefully that will happen. And when that does, I mean, that's going to be fascinating to right. have the, the cues film version versus album version with these inserts. Right. And again, you'd have to include the album versions because there is specific music recorded only for the album that you'd want to, you know, you'd want to include. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I thought so, it was super cool. Yeah. And you wonder who made that choice and, you know, was, was Goldsmith involved in knowing I want these sequences right, represented yeah. musically, or is it a director kind of thing? Or I, I don't know if necessarily a director, but you're right. Music exactor. Album producer. Yeah. 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 It's only like 25 minutes or maybe 30 of yeah, the score. I don't remember the timing it's, because there are a lot of songs. Yeah. It's, which it's I, a, I also cut and heard. Many, 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 many times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other uh, story about working on Mulan was, you know, the, the, the chance to work on a Jerry Goldsmith score. You know, it doesn't happen every day, and so yeah, I was I was in the middle of doing it. We did these very, you know, we did them one in a row. You know, like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Did did them, you know, like assembly line. But I was thrilled to to get to work on on a Jerry Goldsmith. So I was like, I'm not going to do the songs first. I'm going to do, I'm going to do the Goldsmith stuff first. And I will admit, I have not seen Mulan. So I I cut the end title, which is the Mulan Suite. And I cut it. And matches. It's perfect. It's great. It's wonderful. I go back. I cut all the songs awesome <laughs> and the songs at this point you know after you prepare them they really do get imprinted onto your mind i've sort of forgotten them now but when you're in the thick of it like i can't go to sleep because they're playing in my head um i can still hear donny osmond singing let's, let's get, get down, down to business to defeat <laughs> the hunks. you know so i mean so you know but anyway <laughs> i was up Bruce's studio listening to the mix of the songs and then I was listening to the mix of the suite and I went oh my gosh the suite is the songs <laughs> I didn't realize it <laughs> yeah it was just one of those things like oh my gosh I didn't you know because I I, I I hadn't listened to them yet I cut this on its own put that aside focused on the songs and then when I finally heard the thing I went oh, of course that's why it's called sweet <laughs> good going genius Well, that definitely is a good one to mention, and I appreciate you bringing that up. I, yeah, sure. Um, no, I'm, I'm really, really proud of it. Uh, we did Pocahontas, uh, Little Mermaid, Little uh, Lion King. You know, uh, 
did quite a few. It was uh, Hercules. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, they, you know, because each one was different. Uh, everyone had different material and different ways. It's almost like constantly and, and a ton of material, and they sound terrific. If you have Atmos, you know, uh, Pocahontas really has some uh, exciting stuff. They all do. You know, Bruce has a full studio, and so does Greg. Um, and uh, so I got to hear you know these things with both studios, in <laughs> full Atmos. It's just like, oh my gosh, wow. really terrific. Yeah. And none of those, I mean, were they going to be? I can't remember. Like, I know that Disney was doing, like, that legacy collection for a while. Yeah. Of, of them actually being on disc, of, you know, of reissues of the soundtracks, and then they were expanded, because you worked on some of those. I did, yeah. Um, so th this, this is a different thing. This is, yeah. you know, this is, you know, Atmos. It's available uh, digitally, not on disc. Uh, and it's just just the album presentations. There's no extra, no extra music. Um, I would love for... Mulan to happen, mm -hmm. so you know, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> you know, I know they have the material, so <laughs> thank goodness they so, just hold on to it. Yeah, you know. it, it's there, so it we'll see the light of CD at some point. I hope, hope hopefully, yeah. Or have yeah. we delayed? Have we delayed enough for Bond now? It was like <laughs> I think I think we, yeah, we've delayed enough. Well, we, we also did City Hall for talking Goldsmith. That's true, but I feel like that there that might have been. I don't want to step on Goldsmith Odyssey's toes because they did oh, a pretty right. pretty good breakdown of that score. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, which I, I will let them have that one, <laughs> but we can definitely move on to Bond. Okay, um, I got nothing so to say. <laughs> they speak for themselves. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Maybe nothing needs to be said. You can just say it was a joy to work on. This is this is your really short Oscar-winning speech. Yeah. Thank I, you, I'd my like, agent. I'd like to thank my wife. I like Lala Lynn, Lala Lynn Records. <laughs> well, I Beyond. am. I, yeah. I it it definitely was like an end of the year shot. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and I know that it's 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 everyone is sort of accustomed to Black Friday being La La Land's final word you know for the year yeah. and then what is it two days before Christmas or two days it's after Christmas, Christmas Eve Christmas Eve and yeah. I'm like ah, we didn't jump to April Fool's did we nope because I, was, I cannot Eve. believe it like how long had this been had this been gestating uh, uh, if you can share any of the history of, of these two of, and I and just for anyone who's listening I'm so sorry if anyone didn't know La La Land is releasing expanded editions of um, two classic Bond scores, Live and Let Die, uh, music by George Martin from 73, and Octopussy, music by John Barry from 83. Yeah. It's no surprise that um, I like James Bond, and I like James Bond music, and mm -hmm. uh, I've had the opportunity to work with David Arnold on three of his scores. We did Die the other day. Well, it's not enough last year or 2022. We did tomorrow never dies. And when, you know, <laughs> thrilled. Yeah. You know, it's, you know uh, and, you, and you make relationships. And so uh, in talking with MGM, it was like, well, I had gone through and done some paperwork. You know, I had done some detective work that, hey, what about these which is pretty much all the rest if anybody's interested they're like you know what i really want 
is spider love <laughs> i know that's oh really no kidding <laughs> you know hadn't occurred to me <laughs> you know so I, i'm always sort of asking and you know when it's you know appropriate not you know i'm not like all the time but it's like hey what about can we do this? so so they were you know the people at mgm were aware it wasn't like you know we were keeping it quiet that you know we were interested in putting these out one day i guess in february of last year maybe mm -hmm. a year or so ago mm -hmm. I got an email from mgm and said hey uh we've gone through and talked it over with eon and these two films have anniversaries do you want to do them and uh, I immediately got on the phone with MV, uh, expletive deleted, and uh, and and uh, MV Gerhard of Lala Land Records, and uh, was like, yes, we we would be very interested in, huh. in these albums. So that was in February of twenty twenty Living Let Die material was easy to come by because that album had been expanded in 2023 and the film had been remixed, or not 2023, mm -hmm. and, and the film had been remixed as well. So they, they had those transfers that that was fine, that wasn't a problem. So it's the same transfers actually that, that Lucas used on his 2003 album, the 16 track. We did a new mix, Chris Malone did a new mix. Uh, we, we had sort of like some ideas in that that I'll, that I'll talk about. Um, but Octopussy, I was like, holy, holy smokes, this one's never been mm -hmm. expanded. Uh, I hope we can find it. <laughs> and, and we couldn't, <laughs> oh. you know. Uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was fun. So going back to Living the Die for a moment, it was, you know, I'll, I'll I'm going to bounce around because I was doing them both simultaneously. Yeah, so, oh, that's all right. Like, how did it get done? It was like, I was working on them at the same time, you know. It wasn't like... <laughs> They both kind of have to get done, though we didn't we didn't plan on releasing them at the same time. In fact, my plan, my, what I had wanted, mm -hmm. uh, just to be, I don't know, something different. I was hoping to have live and let die out early before Octopussy. Mm -hmm. So what would happen is you'd release Live and Let Die, and everybody would complain, <laughs> and they'd say, "We already have this. We want the others." And that's just like, and then and then you drop the octopusy bomb on them, and they go, "Oh my gosh!" But it didn't, <laughs> it didn't work, it didn't, we wound up doing both at the same time. So that's that's how schedules worked out. But it wasn't my it wasn't the initial plan. But anyway. <laughs> So uh, Live and Let Die, um, I started I started that one first because I had the material. And I went through it and I knew that I, I wanted to work with Chris Malone on it. He is also a diehard James Bond fan and, diehard, and James Bond music fan. And in fact, he even made a video about uh, Live and Let Die that he's recently posted on YouTube about oh. the history of the recording. You want to huh. check that out. And so I had prepared it. I'd edited it, figured out the takes, you know, the the usual nonsense that I do. And we, we sort of talked it, we talked it over, and I was like, you know, 
um, wouldn't it be cool if our new mix went back to the album mix? Like, if we've really focused on that, it's like, so here are the tracks that are on the album, cut up to the album. I've lined them up so you can hear what's going on with the record. If we can sort of do a 2023 album mix, but it's, 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 you know, the, the, the placement and mm-hmm. the balances can be a little bit, you know, uh, it can be, you know, we can mix it digitally now. So it'd be a little bit cleaner and, and maybe a little bit less compression and, and just sort of go with that. And, that. and that's what we did. And it was really fun because he didn't have to do the whole thing at once. It was learn the methodology that they did in 1973 for the album. Let's get those done. And then we can go back and remix all of the unreleased stuff, but in the style of 73. And, it, you know, mm. so you knew, oh, well, that should go there and the balance should be there. So we would know. And that's what we did. But it was fun because like, we would go back and forth and listen. I mean, a lot of listening at first. We'd go, oh, yeah, let's, can we do this? Can you adjust this? You know, I don't I don't hear this so much as I do on the album. And it was like, once we got that in shape, I knew we were golden. Mm. And then... Uh, after he did his mixes, then I got, this was the really exciting part for me. This is the part I really enjoyed about our Live and Let Die album is because we, again, present the original soundtrack album because, again, there's differences and how do you, how do you, you know, incorporate them? It's like, you know, George Martin was a pretty successful record producer. In addition to being a James Bond, you know, composer. Mm-hmm. Did you know he produced a band called the Beatles? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I looked it up I, on Wikipedia. I'll have to write that. How do you Look spell that? that? <laughs> it, it's it's funny you say that. It's Beatles, B E A T, like beat. Shocking. Yeah, How yeah. Clever. So he so he knew a thing or two about producing yeah. an album. You know, they did some <laughs> successful albums. Yeah, a couple. Um, so uh, it was very important for me to to make sure that album was represented, and so uh, I went back and took Chris's new mixes, and then painstakingly re-edited them. Hmm. to match the album edits and i was really proud of that because i was like oh this is the first time in 50 years this has been remixed remastered hmm. edited you know digital editing so maybe that's a little bit more polished than, than a tape edit though the tape edits are really good sometimes it was tough to find out where the precise cut was but i did wow. and i was really i'm really happy with that i can't wait for people to hear it
and that that is that is a, a towering achievement to do because yeah that that is really getting into the weeds yeah re-editing um, re the remixed cues to album versions yeah i mean it's it's not unusual but i was just for whatever reason i was just really proud of it on live and let die it's like yeah it's it's so cool to get to do that and you know the takes are are, are you know different uh, you know like baron samity's dance of death oh yeah and take on the album than in the film so like on the album they edited it so i was like well i'm also going to issue the uh the unedited of the album take because why not we have space and it's, it's a cool I, bonus and it was nice to have the alternates i didn't realize with the the alternate boat chase with a little more yes. musical humor in there <laughs> yeah and the straw or yeah. am i giving it away is did i just give a spoiler oh well, no I think, didn't didn't some of them didn't the live and let die albums come in early so they were shipping early i guess people yeah, yeah people do have it so people do have that it is out there it is out there so it's, it's octopussy like, that's still the they're mystery like, they're like oh no i the i ruined the turkey and the straw reference <laughs> somebody um, has that because they've already yeah. been posting about yeah. the live and let die album okay good 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 um the other the other cool thing about Live and Let Die was one of the tapes I did find was the 1973 Quadmaster, which I did not expect to find and did not expect to exist. And sure enough, there it was. So in 73, um, in that era, the record labels, they'd already gotten people to, to transition from mono to stereo. Mm -hmm. We got them to go from one speaker to two speakers. But we want to we want to keep selling speakers. <laughs> so what if we go from two speakers to four speakers let's 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 release quad so in the early 70s they had surround sound music whether it was on vinyl record or in the case of little diet was on eight track tape the format did not take off there were competing formats that were incompatible and it was just a whole mess and quad music faded away and I was like, this was like a really obscure eight track, whatever. And then sure enough, oh, here's the quad master. Like here I am in a warehouse, you know, cursing off. Like I can't effing believe this is here. <laughs> so I transferred it and it was different than the album. Huh? Was, yeah. Like some cues were longer, some, some edits were different. And that's where I found the alternate uh, filet of soul. Oh yeah. Live and let die. When you were young and your heart was an open book, oh, you used to say, live and let live. But if this ever-changing world in which we live makes you give it a cry, say, live and let die.
I went, oh, well, that's got to be included. It's been released, and, and it's it's unique enough. So, mm-hmm. so that came from the quad mixer. So if it sounds a little different, keep in mind, it was meant for four speakers, and we had to fold it down to two. Got it. But it, I'm, I'm very happy with it, and that was a really cool find. Pussy. Yeah, with, with was, our time remaining. Right. Well, we can always go again. Um, <laughs> Octopussy, it was at the, I was at that same warehouse looking for that, and it just it wasn't there. And I was telling people, and I've never been like, I was just so certain I was doing every bit of work on Octopussy. I'd cut up the movie, I'd ID'd everything, I'd ID'd the album, I'd done all the work. The only thing missing, you know, was the music. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no music. But I kept telling people, we are going to find it. That's just it. Yeah. We are going to find Octopus. Yeah. I don't care how. We're going to find it. And so we put our feelers out. And ultimately, we found three tapes of stereo quarter inch. And, I, and they said, well, we have these. And they showed me the front of the boxes. It just said Octopus and score. It's like, well, is there any paperwork? Or is what is there? Like, well, here's the back of the boxes. 1M1, 1M2, 1M3, 1M4. Like, oh, holy smokes. <laughs> That's all of it. <laughs> That's got to be all of it. Uh, so uh, quickly uh, made the arrangements to have them transferred, you know, picked mm-hmm. up and transferred. And... Were they found in an odd location? I mean, was it like someone's closet? No, 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 no. <laughs> It was found in, in an archive. Okay. So, it, well, yeah, it was so, so to me, they were lost. But they were not lost. It was just you had to dig to find them. Okay. They were in a computer. You just had to ask the right person at that computer. Wow. You know, to, to have, it was like, so not lost, just not apparent. Got it. You know, but um, they do seem to be, as far as I can tell, the only tapes in the world of it. Hmm. You know, wow. maybe there, maybe there's something somewhere else. I don't know, but I was thrilled, and they, I got them. And I was like, oh my gosh, they sound terrific. It's interesting. I did my own sort of AB between the film and the album tracks. And uh-huh. that was the thing that I noted was like, wow, the mix is different. Um, it, it's I can hear. I feel like the album, the original album wasn't produced by Barry, right? It was. OK, I yeah. I guess it's like everything seems mixed at more like pop music levels. Mm. Um, it is louder. Yeah. Everything's like pushed up to 11. And then I feel like the film mixes, everything is a lot more nuanced as it should be for an orchestral recording, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was something I was surprised at, just sort of like checking back and for like the palace fight film version has a couple extra bars of the Bond theme early on. And those were cut. 
But like, even if I'm like flipping back forth, I'm like, whoa, I got to dial down the volume because I'm like, God, it's so loud. transfer the tape for the album and it was the same tape that was used for the previous cd because it had the label on it oh. so i was like okay well this is this is the master so we, we went ahead the levels are are different i noticed that too um i didn't really want to compress our film versions to make them match i was just like no it's it's they're they are they're such different listening ex- experiences yeah. though that you you probably won't go from one to the other no. so but you you know you'll have them both um yeah and and that was also why um th- there was a, there was one cue that had a little bit of damage on it and I couldn't repair it with the album because it sounds so different oh my gosh so I was like okay I got to repair it with with what I have um, and I did yeah you know it, you'll never notice it I you know? I have not noticed anything glaring yeah no no whatsoever. no we, we we were we really scrutinized it and you know Doug Schwartz was, you know, uh, he was the mastering engineer on the two Bonds and on Mask of Zorro. Um, as great, great set of ears, very detail oriented, and we were able to get them all nice and polished and sounding great. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we wound up with Octopussy in stereo with uh, with uh, unused music. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so fascinating to hear those you know again kind of broken up not broken apart but just sort of as the narrative is in the movie and hear yeah. how barry is developing musically just scene to scene and not like as an album presentation right yeah uh and it, uh, something sort of personal with those two when i first really started to get into bond in 87 i got i those were the two scores i had on lp for what like those were the ones i found at the store Huh. It, was living like the, it didn't even occur to me to like halfway through the project. It's like, oh my gosh, these are the albums I grew up with. With these two. Wow. That's what I got in '87. Wow. I didn't get. I didn't. It's funny. I didn't even get the Living Daylight soundtrack album. I had Live and Let Die and Octopussy. And those were the records I played. I even remember putting them on cassette, and that was my cassette of those two, of those two scores. And now here I am, putting them out. Oh. So weird. Little Neil is so is so pleased. It's so weird. It's like. Like I, I'm not, you know, I don't watch Octopussy that often. It's just not, it's not a movie I reach for if I want to watch a James Bond movie. Yeah. So every time I see it, whether it's on video or at a screening or something, when that India cue comes on, it's always like, oh man, they left that off the album. <laughs> like maybe someday we'll get to hear it. And I it's know. like, wait, who's the guy that got to put it out? Wait, it's me. <laughs>
I remember sitting at the computer, got getting the transfers, and like, there it is. That's the cue. That is the cue. And oh my gosh, I remember, you know, it was so it was early in the morning, and my my wife was getting ready for work, and I was like, honey, listen, <laughs> gotta hear it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that probably was the first cue that I played. Of course, whenever anybody said, you know. And the inner circle of, oh, you're doing Octopussy? I was like, yeah, here, listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. I mean, it just it's, it's just seems like such a no-brainer to have it on. And it's it's short. It could have been tacked onto the beginning of another cue, but what do you know? I mean, or yeah, another track on the original needs, album. He, but... did, he did a similar cue for View to a Kill that hopefully someday we'll get to hear for Paris. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, so... And his fanfare when Bond comes over out of the San Francisco. The... Well, that that absolutely that is the moment where that I mean that that is a goosebump moment. Yeah. When Bond comes out of City Hall. Yeah. How cool is that? I know, but again, I know it's short, but that's like again another one that if it ever gets released as an expanded, yeah. that will be the first cue that that I yeah, play. I, I love that scene. Yeah, me too. I one other thing I wanted to inquire about, I guess working with both of these in comparison to the three that you did with David Arnold, mm -hmm. you know, there you're working with the side by side, you're collaborating with the composer himself on his, these albums. And yeah. how were, how did it differ? Did you have much oversight uh, from MGM on these two titles? No, not really. Um, obviously I kept them, you know, I kept detailed logs and everything on the album and, and could say what it all is. Um, but you know, uh, usually, uh, as long as you're not uh, you know, doing anything terrible, no one really, you know, the, the music in some cases it, it comes along with a nice booklet, and the booklets are what they want, you know. In this case, we had notes by John Burlingame mm -hmm. on the two bonds, and you know, I had concerns there with them. I mean, there was more. Like I wanted, you know, part of John's philosophy or not philosophy, his theory on Octopussy involved never say never again. Hmm. Well, can we mention never say never again? Hmm. And I had conversations about that. Ultimately, yes, um, we could. Uh, but it was, you know, it's one of those situations where it's like, well, and, and, you know, and then you get uh, feedback on the booklet. You know, we don't like these pictures, but these pictures and in instead, you know, take this part of the booklet out. And it's like, that's a whole other thing that you're dealing with. And, you know, but the music, not so much, as long as, you know, it's their material and you're doing right by it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think we are, you know. We've... Yeah, I think your presentations, whether it's the David Arnold scores or these these two, you know, new titles, mm -hmm. you guys are presenting them as best as they they've ever been i mean i think so. well that's, that's very kind of you I'm, I'm very happy with them yeah i mean no shade thrown to you know what lucas kendall did 20 years ago but i Those, know that, was... that album is terrific yeah <laughs> come on and 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 look at what you know and he wrote about this he had limitations they could be one disc right so as one disc presentations fantastic um and how many times did we listen to those things? Oh, we still time. listen to them. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> but if you could strip away some of those limitations, you can do a little bit, you know, you could have the album. You could do a little bit more. Um, now, that's something on Octopussy that, you know, no one ever included before and could have was the uh, the extended instrumental version of All Time High. 
It was right. a, it was released on vinyl. It was on forty five. Um, so my friend James Harrisino mm-hmm. told me about it, gave me the copy, gave me his copy of the record that I could transfer and listen to. Uh, and then you know that was another thing that was not turning up right away. Wow! But we found the t- we found the tape. Hmm. You know the master tape that was found. You know Universal had it and uh, got it got it transferred and it's on our own. So that that could have been included ages ago, but I guess people someone forgot about it. You know, in that case, you needed a fan, yeah, to say, hey, what about this thing? That's when know. you know it's it's a scenario where the fans seem to know more than the studio than the owners of the music in a way, sure. like what's been put out there because it's like we might have a singular focus, like. Mm-hmm whether it's James Bond or Star Trek or Star Wars, and the studio has like a hundred thousand other yeah, things but, yeah. that they're trying to keep track of. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and then it becomes, like, you know, like like my job or Mike's job or any, anybody's job. like, you have to become an expert on the thing you're working on. There are already people who have scrutinized this, especially James Bond music. Mm-hmm. You know, they know it, you know. But you sort of have to do a crash course, and and now in my case, I already know a lot. I'm not not pretending that I know everything, but I, I had a pretty good idea already about these two scores. Uh, but you sort of have to. But, but it goes for any project, you know. Master Zorro, I had to become, you know, become yeah. the expert, figure it all out, um, and do do the studying and the research. And so when it came time for the album to come out, you know, I can come across foolish. Like oh, you you know what you're doing. No, and I would never question your decisions on these things. I I I always question away. (laughs) For the most part, I haven't really had much of a reason to question, and maybe I'll have a good answer. I'll say, (laughs) oh, I can tell you why why that was done specifically. Yes. Oh, you listen. You know. Who knows? I I uh, I know that your your attention to detail is is uh, unparalleled. So thank you. I I try. You know, I mean, no, no one's perfect. Things, things slip through the cracks. Happens all the time. But you, you know, you, these things are made by, by by human beings. We're all trying to help each other out and, and make sure these are the best they can be. And I'm I'm thrilled with all the albums that we talked about. Uh, I think they've all turned out really well. I think they're all really impactful releases for this year. And I think for for fans, you know, specifically of you know these scores and the series you know sort of james bond are really happy with it so i think you can absolutely be proud of everything you did in in 2023 um, yeah well, i am and i and i'm really geared up for 2024 which has so far been pretty good well i know that you know with the release of live and let die and octopussy as like and, and that mgm was thinking anniversary you know right. i know that most bond, fan, bond fans are like okay i know it's coming up i look i said it last year I'll say it again. As of this moment in time, we are recording this on February 7th. Uh-huh. There's nothing going on. I've heard nothing. There is absolutely nothing going on. Could it change in an hour? Absolutely. <laughs> I get an email that says, hey, apparently somebody would like Spy to Love Me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. But as of now, they're... they're my time with Bond uh, is over as of, as of right now. The first time I saw Goldfinger in the theater, I saw a beautiful print, beautiful 35 millimeter print. 
and it said James Bond will return on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Hmm. It was oh, it's the original end titles. <laughs> That's interesting. They they yeah. Wow. Yeah, they, they've included that in one of the documentaries. You can see that now. But I saw the print. We were, my friend and I were just like, oh, <laughs> look at that. And then that's some trivia I did not know. And then I Thunderball's end title. That's gone. That's I've never seen that. I keep I always hope that somehow we'll see what the teaser is. There's there's a big wipe in the end titles and the music mm -hmm. edits are all funky. And there's two scores for the end titles. It's a big mess. A battery yeah. roll, an end title, and then they tracked in the uh, the Bond theme. Um, and right. every print, every print I've ever seen of Thunderball, whether it's a, a, you know a, a newer print or an older print, I've seen some really old prints of Thunderball. They all have the James Bond theme ending. None of them have the Barry composed ending, and they all have that wipe. Like, I'm just like, ah, I just want to see what this said, but <laughs> I think that footage is long gone. Well, thank you, Neil, very much. Hey, thank you. I, I, it's always a pleasure. I know. I know you get you know hundreds of of letters asking you know when's Neil going to be back <laughs> on the show. I'm always happy to happy to do it. Well, it's always a treat, you know. And I, I don't take it for granted. I appreciate the time that you take to talk with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm. You know, I love talking about myself. <laughs> well, we're here to listen. <laughs> I, I hope. I hope. I hope people enjoyed the the, uh, the episode, and I hope they got a little insight into what it goes and what goes into making these albums i think so i think I, so i can't oh, wait to yeah. talk about what we got coming this year next awesome. year <laughs> <laughs> yes all right thanks neil thanks so much That ends my latest chat with soundtrack album producer and editor Neil S. Bulk, whom I thank again for participating and sharing details on some of the fabulous albums he produced during 2023. The albums we discussed in this episode can be found online at La La Land Records and Entrada. The Dolby Atmos soundtracks of the Disney animated movies are available online, and he did mention producing the uh, expanded album edition of Jerry Goldsmith's score for City Hall, and that is out on Res Saraban Records. These are among the top soundtrack labels that offer many stellar and popular titles from which to choose. I also want to thank everyone for listening today. As always, I hope you found it both fun and informative. Stay tuned after the movie title list that I read uh, for bonus clip from my conversation with Neil. Music heard in today's episode included excerpts from Gorky Park, Dad, Sneakers, and The Mask of Zorro, all composed by James Horner. Mulan, from 1998, scored by Jerry Goldsmith, songs by Matthew Wilder and David Zippel. Live and Let Die, music by George Martin, title song by Paul McCartney and Wings. Octopussy, music by John Barry, title song All Time High by John Barry, and lyrics by Tim Rice. If you'd like to send any comments or questions, you can email the show at podcast at gmail.com. Find the blog at escortasettle.blogspot.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash escortasettle, and on Twitter at score2settlepod. That's score, the number two, settle pod. If you listen to the show by way of Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave a rating and a review. I always appreciate that. Helps with our numbers. 
Stay safe out there, and thanks again for listening. On the topic of alternate recordings of cues heard in a particular film score, Neil and I briefly went down the rabbit hole regarding alternates for 1979's classic Star Trek The Motion Picture score composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I will always remember that it was you who pointed out a track on that 20th motion picture, the 20th anniversary, that original expanded edition for motion picture. Mm-hmm. You could hear a page turning? It's Spock Walk, yeah. You could hear it. And it's funny because I love, you know, when that album came out, I was in, I was thrilled. First of all, I don't know if you remember, but if anybody remembers, that thing was delayed for years. Yeah. And it was just like, when's it coming? When's it coming? When's it coming? So when it finally did come out, it's like, oh, geez, it's actually here. And I was like rushing home to listen to it and, mm-hmm. and played it to death because it starts the motion picture. You know? Yeah. Um, and so. The, the page turn, it didn't, it, it was just, it was just a detail. It wasn't like, it, it, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. It was just, oh, you can hear it. Um, I did know that the beginning of the force field was different than the opening of the film. Yeah. That I could tell, you know, that that beam was different. Um, but what's interesting is when, when La La Land did their first motion picture album, and I got to, I got to work on that, and then being like a part of the Supreme Court <laughs> on that album. Um, when you finally heard after listening to the previous album when you finally heard the finished take of uh, not spock walk spock's arrival that's yes a, that's right spock's arrival. oh my gosh they're gonna oh they're already firing up on the their <laughs> monthly board and, in, and and your comments in the video they're going neil called it spock walk but it's really spock's arrival <laughs> that idiot <laughs> how dare he make a mistake yeah yeah it was, it was spock's arrival and uh, when you finally got to hear the finished, polished take of it, you went, "Holy smokes! It's so much better!" Like, like that, like, oh, I can hear why this take wasn't used because it's it's the music. It, it is mm-hmm. absolutely one hundred percent the music, but the performance isn't quite there yet. Yeah, you know, it's it's something you can you can sense. You know, yeah. without, you know, I imagine if if you had the manuscript in front of you and you followed along, you go, "Oh yeah." But I, I just want by my ears. It's like, yeah, this performance is Yeah. Much- That's why it's it's valuable those, you know, to to get those those the right like you said, the right mixes and takes um that you need to for for the album. <laughs>